there's a holistic approach to looking at our, ourselves uh, that is biblical. It is our spiritual health, which is often overlooked by the secular culture. There is our physical health, and then there's our mental health. The way our brains are operating, the synapses and neurons that are firing off in our mind can misfire. And so to your point, if you're experiencing clinical depression, the only way you can know that is if a if you go to a Christian biblical counselor and able to diagnose you, and then you can look at it from those three areas, from a physical, a spiritual, and a mental way. And I think you, you have to look at all three. You know, I get recognized time and again in public, but I had a first. Yeah, America's most wanted. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's your family. I I had a first, though, guys. I have to. I have to confess. I was just traveling to Kansas to speak out there, and I went up to the TSA person. You know how they check your ID and your ticket before they let you through. Especially if you're an Arab. You know, you had to now. You had to wear masks, and then I had to pull my mask down, and then I pull my mask down, and the guy does this like kind of. Thing and I'm thinking, am I America's most wanted? <laughs> you know, again, arrest me. And he goes, oh, easy. I go, what? He goes, oh man, living waters. You know, I love your ministry, and it's always encouraging when that happens. You know, it's it's really really a joy. But then the brother in the TSA area with a line of people. <laughs> takes me aside and starts praying over me. <laughs> he said, makes yeah. them wait? <laughs> totally. I got on my way to Kansas, you know, and he's praying over me and I was so blessed, but I kept thinking, oh my goodness, someone's going to yell at me. What you. are you doing? Is that you LAX? Know? No, I'm, I'm trying to keep the airport secret so he doesn't get in trouble <laughs> if anyone does hear this. In the Bible Belt? No, let's keep um, narrowing it down. Four words, four words. Was it Does in California? It have, have something to do with an old cowboy. Yeah. I can, I can <laughs> name it. Five notes. Anyhow, it was such a blessing. I just never had that happen. But Ray, you often get recognized. Is it Dos Equis? <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember that, right? that. That was funny. Well, that was at an airport too, right? Yeah, and there was a television program. Sorry, an advertisement on Dosikis. Yeah, it was a beer, and it was and a really good. The world's looking, most interesting man. Yeah, really look good looking guy. And people would pull me aside <laughs> and say, "You're that guy." And yeah. it was. It was. I couldn't. I couldn't figure it out. Strange. I get yeah. recognized and then Oscar, all the time for being not me. Yeah, <laughs> tell us, Mr. Rudy Mancuso. Yeah, there's somebody online who's got a very popular following, especially amongst young kids named Rudy Mancuso, and kids think I'm him. It's happened to me at the gym when I'm playing basketball. <laughs> One of the funnier ones is that I was at an airport sitting down reading, waiting for my flight, and this little kid like waddles over to me, and he was like, can I get your autograph? And right away I knew <laughs> who he thought I was. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, but oh, I'm not what Rudy. But you should just sign something and put a Bible <laughs> That's this. what Mark says. He gets all sad, turns around, walks away, and his parents are looking at me like, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm not Rudy. I'm not Rudy. No, but I, the funnier part, I, I think I've told you this. I was the one time, so I was in line waiting for my Thai food to take home to my family, and this guy walks up to me and he was like, "Hey, man, I'm a, I'm a huge fan." And I was like, "Oh, sorry, I'm I'm not Rudy." And he goes, "Oh, you're not you're not on Wave the Master. You live in Waters." I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, oh, I'm, I'm that guy." Oh, that's, <laughs> oh, that's really time. funny. That's funny. Yeah, no, I, I just I saw him recently. I came across him uh, online, and I, I, it's crazy. I cannot believe how much you look like him. He's it's like, pretty yeah, crazy. So true. I was at a Green Bay Packer football game with Ray. We came out of the area where all the players play. We had a friend that played for the team at the time, and there were a bunch of fans up against the fence. 
wanting to get autographs and pictures, hoping that the team would come over there. So I just jogged on over there and just started signing different autographs <laughs> for, for different people. Oh, it was so funny. But I was giving gospel tracks you know, at the same time oh, to all the no, people. That's the insane. Fans. Mark, you still get mistaken for tattoo from Fantasy Island? Or? <laughs> <laughs> no, Mr. Ed and Benji and Lassie. <laughs> Oh, man, that's just too much fun. Urkel. Yeah, Urkel. Well, friends, we're going to be talking today about the importance of Christian counseling. But before we get into that, Ray wrote an amazing book called God Speaks, Finding Hope in the Midst of Hopelessness. And I think uh, it's fitting to tell you about that one being that we're talking about counseling. And sometimes people go through grief and difficulty and pain. So you can check that out at livingwaters.com. Ray, did you write that book in a New Zealand accent? Yeah, always. Oh, yeah. It's quicker. You get over the R's quicker. Yeah. Friends, again, I can't tell you how encouraged we are by the comments that you guys send in through the platform. I'm talking about Apple, right? You go on Apple, the podcast platform, it gives you a place there where you can rate the program and where you can then uh, leave a comment. And this one is from Stephen Alexander B. He put as a heading, listen every week. Just want to say, I grew up in the South, so at a young age, I knew who Jesus was and what he did on the cross for us. It wasn't until last year when I first started watching Living Waters YouTube channel till I put it all together. I was born again because of the law speaking to my heart. Ever since then, the Holy Spirit has filled me up and done amazing things in my life. I've been the youth director at my church now about five months, and I can't stop watching this video and diving deep in the word. Thanking y'all for preaching the law before the gospel because I would still be lost in the world without hearing it. God bless Living Waters Ministry. History down south. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Stephen. What a, what a joy. We're so blessed you wrote in. And friends, uh, write in. We may read, uh, read what you wrote on the program. And by the way, the program, a little update. And I, I don't share this to boast. I share this to let you know, friends, that because of what you're doing, especially giving us a rating and, and the comments and listening and subscribing and telling others about the program, God's doing incredible things. So on the Apple podcast platform, this is recently where Living Waters has ranked. Number 67 in the US. And again, these fluctuate. At one point, we had peaked at 22 in the US. And this is of, out of all Christian podcasts. So all Christian podcasts in the entire country or these countries I'm going to read, 67 in the US, number 65 in the UK, number 23 in Israel, 22 in Germany, number 19 in New Zealand, 24 in the Bahamas, 14 in Ireland, number 37 in Canada, 25 in the Philippines, number 10 in Ireland, 11 in India. I mean, second most populated country in the world. Number eight in Vietnam, number six in Norway. And we recently just hit number one in the entire country of Greece. Wow. So, I mean, even as I read these, I'm like, nah, come on. But it's, that's what it is. So, friends, thank you. We're the only one in English in Greece. <laughs> <laughs> only one person listening. All right. Yeah, so, so Greek to me. today, friends, uh, like I said, we're talking about the importance of Christian counseling. And Ray's comment and Ray's advice for those who want Christian counseling is simple. Read your Bible. Obey what you read. Living Waters, Bellflower, California. <laughs> Is that how every track you said, basically? Uh, pretty much. Yeah, well, that, that sums it up. If you read your Bible, God will direct you and guide you. It's a lamp to her feet, light to her path. It's sustenance, it's milk, it's meat. It's God's word. And so if you feed on it, you'll grow. 
there's a holistic approach to looking at our, ourselves uh, that is biblical. It is our spiritual health, which is often overlooked by the secular culture. There is our physical health, and then there's our mental health. The way our brains are operating, the synapses and neurons that are firing off in our mind can misfire. And so to your point, if you're experiencing clinical depression, the only way you can know that is if a if you go to a Christian biblical counselor and able to diagnose you, and then you can look at it from those three areas, from a physical, a spiritual, and a mental way. And I think you, you have to look at all three. I want to point out though, that counseling, let's call it therapy, is a modern day need, but it is a need. And I bring that up because this is something that Paul Tripp says in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. Great book. He points out that the earliest Christians, talking 2,000 years ago, they didn't have therapists and counselors that they went to. And he asked the question, why not? What's different about their lives and our lives today? Has something changed? And he would say it, it has. He would say that we've moved away from the way God wants us to live into a modern version of life. Modernity is not good for the human mm, soul. Yeah. And so a part of modernity comes isolation, right? Like back in about 2000 years ago, the early church, you were known and loved. When you walked out your house to walk over to your craft shop, you were interacting with people that you went to church with. You went to work and interacted with people that you went to church with. Those are people that you fellowship with daily. You weren't interacting with strangers on a regular basis. You knew your neighbors. I don't mean you just knew your neighbors' first names. I mean, you knew your neighbors because you did life with them, mm. because you shared a marketplace with them. Mm. And modernity has been set up to isolate us. Yeah. We're like, I can't remember the data, but I saw the vast, like a, a significant amount of people don't know their neighbors' names. Hey, listener. Have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has $100 that's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. Yeah, you know, R. Kent Hughes, who's a friend of our ministry, we've had him here for our uh, one of our uh, outreaches and to, to be interviewed. He said that in his book, Disciplines of a Godly Man, he talked about how we have become like an island unto ourselves, if you would. Like even our homes are designed in such a way that they kill interaction. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It used to be that there was a porch on the front of the house. There's no more porches anymore. Mm -hmm. The focus now is on the big size of the house versus the yard. The yards are tiny where the kids used to go out and play and have neighbors over and do things. And, you know, we, we, we don't even, we're not even seen, right? The garage door opens yep. and we go in like over a drawbridge into our castle and then it closes and there's like a moat around. No one can come. Then we go in and we just, we're in there all day. And what are we doing? Watching TV. We're on social media. Yeah. We're on our computers. We're, 
and there's just no more. And that transfers over to the, the body and in the, in the Christianity. And there isn't the that we live. interaction. I mean, Ray, would you say back when you were in New Zealand that there was then more of a kind of a, a Christian culture of interaction? No, New Zealanders don't talk to each other. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a different culture, different than American culture. New Zealand's well known for six foot fences. Really? I'm not kidding. All around the and whole they're house. They're only five feet tall. Yeah, well, no one, no one has ever seen over the fence. I think things things may have changed, but America is far more integrated neighbourly mm. than uh, than New Zealand and really? Australia. Yeah, so it's some like keep yourself whatever, mate. You know. Yeah, so we've got it good compared to yeah. that. The ball went over when we're playing cricket. Got to meet the neighbours first time in ten years. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes it goes beyond community. It even goes in the way that we live our lives. You just mentioned getting in your car and driving. I mean, think about like what it took for somebody to go to the store back in the day. It might be a two week trip and they had nothing to do but to sit on the planes and enjoy God's creation. They had planes in those days? (laughs) (laughs) That was amazing. Ride over the mountains and have a conversation with the person that they were on horseback with perhaps. Like it was slow and it took two weeks. And now we jump in our cars and we hit play on Spotify or YouTube or whatever, we keep ourselves busy and distracted and we're there like that. And but so, that's why I love traveling by plane. I've got to meet literally thousands of people intimately and talk with them for hours yeah. on planes. You yeah. should go Ray, my next trip. If oh, they don't yeah. like what you're telling them, what do you tell them? There's the door, leave. <laughs> <laughs> I use yeah. that joke all the time. I and, love so, it. and so the point is, is that basically our world, our, our, our modern world has been set up in a way that is not good for our souls. Yeah. And because of that, we now need a time for focused, intimate conversations, counseling, where people can can churn up the idols of our hearts and help us better understand how the gospel applies to us today. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes there's this sort of outlook and perspective on counseling that hinders people from getting it. And what I mean by that is it has this sort of formal feel. Mm. Oh, I'm in counseling. I got to go get counseling. And nobody wants to say that or admit that because it, it shows what? They've got problems, you know? Yeah. So how long have you been in counseling? <laughs> <laughs> All my life, brother. <laughs> but if we strip away that, that formal title, if we, if we strip away kind of the stigma that's sometimes associated with it, and we just call it, call it what it is therapy. in its essence. <laughs> yeah, mental therapy. But if we call it what it is in its essence, right? And, and what is it really? Bottom line is it's Christians talking with one another, speaking truth into each other's lives, encouraging one another and exhorting one another. Mm. I mean, like you're talking about, you know, we didn't have these formalized things in the days of the church. It's like when you have body life and you have Christians in your life, you're counseling each other. You're, you're opening up and you're, you're yeah. allowing one another. I mean, scripture speaks to that. Proverbs 27, 9, ointment and perfume delight the heart and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Would you say this program is a counseling program? You know what? You could, I, I could, you could put it in that category. Tool. Because we're conveying truth that's exhorting, that's encouraging, that's edifying, building up, uh, correcting. I would say canceling is relational. We can't build a relationship with someone listening to us. I think this is data transfer. We're transferring information that can be edifying and good, that can affirm them in God's truths. 
But counseling like discipleship takes relationship. You need to be known. It's not just a data transfer. I know in the episode following this, we're going to talk about discipleship. So those two things go hand in hand. Counseling requires a relational aspect, not just a data transfer of information. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like stolen my thunder. Thanks a lot. (laughs) I was just going to say I've been involved in more counseling in recent years than my whole life, or put together even as a pastor. Yeah, because every week I spend hours in counseling. Not me getting counsel. I haven't got a problem. Um, it's uh, and answering comments on a YouTube channel. I go through every yeah. com- almost every comment, like literally thousands per video. Right. Go back day after day, and people have got questions all the time. They've got problems, and they say, "Please pray for me. I'm desperate. I'm suicidal." And I say, "I'm praying for you." And thanks to Anna Jackson, I've got a PDF of an old version of the Evidence Bible, and I'm able to grab links from that and send people straight to it. Via the internet, yeah, and it's a, it's a one, and I, I really enjoy it because uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not counselling. Um, it's not my gifting. Yeah, and so to do that is, uh, is is very enjoyable. Yeah, and I think I'm glad you brought that up, Oscar, because it's it is important to clarify. You know, it's it's kind of like people who substitute church for listening to yeah. preachers online, right? You don't want to do that. But uh, on the other hand, you can't make it to church. You're out of town or you're sick at home. Hey, there's, there's benefit in that, you know, by the same token, people can get counseling benefit in terms of receiving truth that affects their lives. But then there are some who, who need formal counseling because there is such a thing. And there are people that are trained and can give that. You have to appropriate it in accordance with, you know, the circumstances, but yeah, a podcast like this, you can't substitute for it. A book can also serve in, in, in a sense like a counselor with truth loaded in it. That's guiding you in certain areas of your life. But again, you got to be careful. Do you know what the word Raymond means? Raymond? The name Raymond, my father. Oh, Raymond. Wise counselor. Really? <laughs> yes, it does. Wow. Yeah, I so thought I'd bring that out. Uh, That's man, the you're, wrong name. Your parents. Were <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your Sorry. parents were witty <laughs> and disappointed. <Yeah. laughs> uh, Mark, I, I want to. I want to ask you a question. Follow up from from what you said we'll earlier. Do it. I will. Why? <laughs> you you mentioned being careful about secular counseling. Why is that something that people should be concerned about? What is the danger of uh, secular counseling versus someone who's working from God's? Well, family? remember, we don't go to Egypt for the answers. You know, Christ is the answers, and, and Scripture is enough. It is sufficient. It is the all-encompassing reality in order to handle life's problems, all of life's issues. I like what Robert Jones said. He said most counseling problems reflect a distorted view of God and a deficient relationship with Christ, right? In other words, it's not unusual to come across somebody who says, I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through. I've been faithfully serving God, and now this has happened to me. Why, why, why? And so they don't understand the the point and the purpose of life. Mm -hmm. What is the meaning of life? And when you understand that we've been created by God for his glory, for our good, and to make him known, then we're not going to be surprised when different trials come our way. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So we are competing, if you would, with a message that is not biblical, a gospel message, air quotes, that is not biblical, that God promises to give you uh, 
joy and peace and lasting happiness and wealth. It's your purpose-driven life today. It is your best life now and today. And so people responding to this message become disillusioned when they experience trials, tribulation, persecution, temptation, and sufferings. They raise their fist at God and they say, what is going on? I don't understand. Well, no, Romans 8, 28 says all things are working together for good. So if all things are working together for good, then we realize that even those trials, as difficult as they are, are strategic stepping stones inside of our life that we must take. I mean, even Christ said, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So there is a cup for us to drink as believers that we may not fully and completely understand. Mm -hmm but it is working together for our good. And we must drink those because it is not the path of least resistance, but the straightest path to sanctification with what God wants to do inside of our lives. So when we incorporate what the world has to say, what is the antithesis of what the Bible has to say, then we're going to have a conflict of interest between God and man. We are created in the image of God to know God and to enjoy God and any counsel that the world is going to give is going to be terrible. Good. So we see that the majority of the counselors out there are just going to be listeners mm -hmm. to people, and they're trying to replace the church. Because mm -hmm. you and I, as we hang out, some of the best advice that you can give is to not say anything at all. Job's friends, by and large, they messed up because they tried to give advice, sometimes good advice. But some of the best advice is just to weep with those who weep, and only the church can truly do that. The world tries to mimic that, and you pay $1,000 an hour, Howard Stern, $1,000 an hour, just for somebody to listen to his problems without ever giving any advice. And at the end of the counseling appointment, we had a good session, didn't we? Because somebody was <laughs> just able time. to vent. Yeah. yeah. And there's the problem. Well, I think there's, there's, two, there's two kinds of really bad counseling. The first is what you're alluding to, which is the secular counseling. And I think I would, go, I would go a step further. They don't just listen, but they point you in the wrong direction. Secular counseling absorbs expressive individualism. The point is that they point you back to yourself. And so I think it's so interesting because a couple, 15, 20 years ago, Love yourself. If, if, a, if a man walked into a therapist and was like, I'm sick of my wife and kids and I want to abandon them, they would be like, no, you need to be a responsible adult and you need to stick with them and the culture would agree. Today, if a woman walked into a therapist office, your average therapist office, and said, I am now attracted to women and I don't want to be with my husband and I don't want to parent my kids anymore, they would say, you need to free yourself right. from the restraints of your past and, and live your best life now. Yeah. That would be the counseling they would give them, right? If a husband walked into that same therapist session, he said, I now want to be a woman. I don't care about my art, you know, my, and they would say, well, your wife is going to have to deal with your new transition and your kids are just going to have to accept you for who you are. Yeah. The point is that, that modern day therapists are not pointing you back to the truths of who God is. Yeah, right. They're not, they're not desiring that they're not ultimately desiring your good is what's happening. They think they might be, but they're actually not. It's interesting yeah. to note the whole, the Psalms begins with, blessed is the man who walks not in the yeah, counsel of the ungodly. Yeah. God promises his blessing on you if you don't listen to this world because the philosophy of this world is vain. Right. Yeah, and, and I was just going to cite that passage as well, Ray. You know, no, you weren't. But yes, right there, I have it right here. Look, 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 look. I'm going to prove <laughs> it. You have it in your Bible? Look, 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 yeah, look, yeah, look, yeah. look, look, look. Look, Psalm 1, right, Oscar? Yeah, it's always there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's my it's hard to find. Uh, You know, Mark, in answer to that question as well, I mean, the real bottom line to it is that 
the world uh, is coming at it from, yeah, a godless perspective. They, they have the wrong foundation. They're coming at it typically from a Freudian uh, yeah, outlook. Right. So they, they don't have an understanding of human nature. So they don't have an understanding of, of what sin is. So everything becomes a part of, you know, what your upbringing was or your background or your, you know, whatever. Now, I'm not saying there isn't any like possibility that secular or unsafe people can notice a certain pattern of behavior in people or whatever, but they, they don't understand the root cause mm-hmm. and they don't understand the real remedy. And that goes hand in hand with what Elizabeth Elliot had said when referencing somebody saying, I need counsel. Right. We already established the fact that counsel can be a very good thing. But Elizabeth Elliot, she said, when somebody said, you need counsel, her response is, are you sure? One hour at the foot of the cross may eliminate the necessity of professional counseling. No such thing existed until the 20th century. What did folks do before that? To your point of what you had said earlier, I'd like to, if we can, for just a moment, allow me to throw out some, uh, some good authors out there. That people throw, are going, throw them out there, dude. You know, I'm just going to throw them out there. And then also some well, good I think books. we should keep them. Don't throw them out. <clears throat> some good counseling experts. We have uh, Heath Lambert. Yeah. We have John and Janie Street. Stuart Scott. Ken Sandy. Jay Adams. Dale Johnson. Paul Brown. Maya Johnson. Margaret Glass. Martha Peace. Also, you can find them at biblicalcounseling.com with the ACBC Counseling. Uh, throw some books out there that we've read um, and that we recommend or... Uh, been recommended to us. You Never Stop Being a Parent by uh, Jim Neuheiser and Elise Fitzpatrick, talking about how do we deal with people, our kids when they become teenagers and when they grow up into the adult world. Elise Fitzpatrick's Idols of the Heart is another really good one. Nice. When Sinners Say I Do, I Think You Had My Son. Yeah. Uh, Read that book. Love that book. Yeah. Rachel and I, it's one of our favorites. That one. And then they have another one called I Still Do. Still Do, For couples that have been married a long time. Dave Harvey. Dave Harvey. Dave Harvey. Yeah. Shepherding a Child's Heart. I think it's the best book uh, that you can possibly find by Ted Tripp. Not to be confused with his brother, Paul Tripp, and you had mentioned Redeemers in the Hands, Instruments in the Hands of the Redeemers. What is it? Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. In the Redeemer's Hands, yes. And And How People Change by Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp. Those are two great ones. And he also wrote Parenting. Parenting, Um, yes. uh, Uh, We have uh, Peacemaking for Families by Ken Sandy, uh, dealing with people from uh, perhaps uh, mixed families that have been... Married and remarried, divorced, and how to deal with conflict amongst uh, adoptive children inside uh, the family. Uh, this Momentary Marriage by John Piper. My wife and I were going through that currently. We're about halfway through. Uh, Marry Wisely and Marry Well by Ernie Baker. Then we have In the Aftermath, dealing with sexual abuse from your childhood and as you get older by Pamela Gannon and Beverly Moore. God, Marriage, and Family by Andreas Kostenberger. We have The Faithful Parent by Stuart Scott Custom and Martha Peace. Uh, here's one <laughs> easy burger? that you've recommended, uh, The Exemplary Husband by Stuart Scott. Yeah, that's great. And we great. also have The Excellent Wife, which my sister-in-law is reading right now by uh, Martha Peace. Great book. Big Truths for Young Hearts by Bruce Ware. Uh, putting Your Past in Its Place. Sometimes people can't just move forward. Recommend that book, Putting Your Past in Its Place by Steve Byers. And then just a couple more here. And this is if you would like to get into counseling or you find yourself people coming to you for counsel, how do you navigate through those murky waters? We have the Biblical Counseling Guide for Women by John and Janie Street. We have Counseling by John MacArthur. And then this was a really good book that I enjoyed. My wife uh, had read it first, Counseling the Hard Cases by Stuart Scott and Heath Lambert. And then also Counseling by the Book by John Babbler and Nicholas Allen. Don't forget the book yet to be titled by Mark Spence. 
Get ah, to you know, uh, Paul Tripp, Wes called, what did you expect? Redeeming the realities of marriage. He changed the title to just marriage. He's just simplifying all his titles now. Yeah. <laughs> marriage, parenting. But anyway, that's, that that's to me really is, I think, one. the best book written on marriage. So it's one there. And Dear to Discipline by James Dobson is a book that really changed my life. DD. We've talked about bad counseling in the secular world. I think it's important also to point out that there is shallow counseling in churches sometimes too. And then my best way of describing this is, is there's actually this really funny bit by, do you guys remember Bob Newhart? Yes. So he does this skit called Stop It. You can look it up on YouTube. It is so funny. Very dry, wasn't he? He's very dry. So this lady in this skit, this lady walks in, she sits down he's like, okay, you know, and she's like, do we have 45 minutes? He's like, oh no, we won't need 45 minutes. We'll need five. Huh. She goes, oh, okay. And he's like, so what's going on? And she goes, well, I'm, I'm afraid of being buried alive. He goes, really? He goes, yeah, I, uh, I, I can't get in elevators. I, I can't be in boxes. I can't get in my car. I'm just afraid I'm going to be buried alive. And he goes, hmm, okay. I've got two words that's going to solve all your problems. She goes, really? Should I write them down? He goes, I don't think you will. <laughs> and she goes, okay, what is it? And he goes, <clears throat> stop it. <laughs> just stop it. And she's like, what? She's like, yeah, just stop. She's like, but when I get in it, no, 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 just stop. She goes, but my childhood, no, 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 don't go there. Just stop it. <laughs> so the whole point is, is like the, the shallowness of it. And I think that sometimes I've seen this happen in churches where somebody will be dealing with anxiety. They'll be in an anxious state or season of their lives and they'll go to somebody about counseling. And the answer is, well, don't be anxious. Just don't be anxious. Just stop being, don't, don't be anxious about anything. The Bible says it, just stop. They're basically saying, just stop it. One of the things that I love about Paul Tripp, and I know you do too, is that his form of counseling is that he gets to the heart of things. Yeah. He calls it idol hunting mm -hmm. or gospel gaps. In other words, he's always asking himself or asking someone who he'd be counseling, what aspects of the gospel are you not believing right yeah. now? He's applying the gospel to their lives today. One of the things that he points out is that he says, there's three things that marks a good biblical counselor. First, they understand that no single book understands the human condition the way our Bible does. And so therefore that is our primary diagnostic tool. Then he says, he recognizes that ultimately our behavior is shaped by our hearts. What is it that we love? What are the lies that we are believing? What are the aspects of the gospel that we have forgotten? And then third, that Christ in cross speaks not only to past sins and future grace, but also to the here and now that God, Christ died for your marriage, for your depressions, for your fear, for your pain, for your anxieties. The gospel applies to you today. Yeah, amen. That's huge to be gospel centric, you know, and in the counseling that you receive and being a gospel centric counselor as well is huge. And, you know, Mark mentioned ACBC. Some of you are saying, what does that stand for? It's Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. And again, that website's biblicalcounseling.com. And what's amazing about them is you could put in your area on the website where you live and they can connect you with biblical counselors. The method of counseling that we prescribe is, is what's referred to as nothetic counseling. And, and here's a, a description of what that is. Uh, this is from Got Questions. It says, quite simply, nothetic counseling is biblical counseling. It gets its name from the Greek word notheo, which is usually translated admonish, Romans 15, 14. It means to confront as a friend 
and was the normal method of counseling before modernists invented secular psychology in the early 1900s. A study of older dictionaries shows that it took until 1973 for the word counseling to change from giving advice to psychology with its modern testing processes and therapies. That change gradually came about as a secular psychology influence changed our idea of counseling from that given by a pastor to that given by a secular psychologist. So, I mean, you've alluded to that already in terms of the change and the shift and what happened. Because really, counseling is soul care, Mm -hmm. you know? And we, we can't go, it's almost like going to the atheist to give us a Bible study. Hmm. I mean, it's hmm. just not, it's a contradiction when you're an enemy of God and you're, you're looking at the soul from a humanistic perspective, you can't care for the soul. You have to be a person who understands that the foundation of what our soul is about and who we are. So, you know, Ray, again, counseling takes different, what are you going to say? I've got something? an elephant sitting on me. Oh, tell us about and your elephant. My elephant is this, that's sitting on me is that I wouldn't like to be buried alive. Like you up. So I can understand that lady saying that. So if someone came and said that to you, Easy, how would you counsel that? Rather than just stop it, which is we're yeah. talking about the superficiality. Someone's got a, a terror of elevators. They're scared of being buried alive. It's just haunting them all their lives. How would you handle something like that? Yeah. Biblically? Well, I think I, I would ask a lot of questions. I would listen, like, you know, has been referenced already. But I think, you know, I would explore. You eat a lot of dirt. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would explore their perspective on God and scripture. I remember when I was, I was a, a teenager, uh, I was terrified one day at home. My, my parents weren't home. I was like 12, maybe, maybe 12, maybe before I hit, I hit 13 and no one was home. And all of a sudden I had this overwhelming fear of just being alone in the dark and the, you know, and uh, a friend of mine came over who grew up in a Christian home and he read me Psalm 23. Hmm. That was one of like my first encounters with with scripture mm. like that, you know? And when you look at, at something like that, it begins to open your, your eyes to who God is, who we are in relation to him and what God is able to do for us as people. And I think a lot of these things arise from a lot of times people are, are afraid of death. I mean, you talk about that all the time, right? Hebrews touches on that, captive by the fear of death all their lives. And so I think in, in a situation like that, I would explore it. And if they're a believer, I would reference them to scripture, to God's faithfulness, to God's character, to the fact that he'll never leave them nor forsake them, that he's always with them, that, you know, what, you know, and I would just talk them through other reasonable, logical things in connection with truth. What, what What's the worst that can happen? What are the statistics of how many people actually get buried alive or die on an elevator? Again, when the human heart is connected with God's spirit and God's word and God's truth, all kinds of truth can come forth from that. Mm. And you can reason with someone, mm-hmm. you know, and you walk them through it. Mark. I was just going to go on that. Jay Adams, one of the gentlemen that we mentioned earlier, he gives some really great counseling uh, principles. In fact, he gives 10. Uh, I'm going to go through all 10 of them because I think they're all amazing. How about we, we can go back and forth if you want. <laughs> no, I had that too. No, Mark, go ahead. 10 great counseling principles when anybody comes to you. Number one, Uh, When seeking to bring about change, never attempt to do so in the abstract, right? People change only in concrete ways. Number two, always give hope, right? People will never persevere during these often difficult processes of change without hope. So we must point them to hope. So we point them to Christ and we point them to the fact that Christ is our hope and that uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Number three, 
never minimize the severity of the problem, right? And that's kind of like what you're talking about. You know, just stop. Like, this is no big deal because it's no big deal to you, right? But never minimize the severity of the problem. Instead, always maximize Christ and his power to solve problems, yeah. right? God is able, mm. right? He came to mm. set the captive free. He who the son has set free is free indeed. Number four, if a person has a life-dominating problem, well, then aim at a total restructuring, right? That there needs to be a major change to take place. Reset, yeah. Complete reset. Number five, always approach the seemingly hopeless situations with emphatic disagreement. Empathy alone removes all possibility of help. Disagree with the counselee, the person who's coming to you for help, saying, it's hopeless. No, say it's difficult, but it's not too difficult for God. So when somebody says, ah, oh, this is hopeless, there's no, there's no possible end in sight. No, it's, it's hopeless in your eyes. But listen, it's not exactly hopeless. It is difficult, but not too difficult for the Father. Number six, don't become oriented towards people's problems, but towards God's solution. And that's easy to do. We hone in, we focus in on what they're saying, and we go, whoa, you know, maybe you should be hopeless. You know, maybe, maybe this is a situation outside of uh, the ability of change. But no, we always look towards the solution that's found in Christ. Number seven, uh, gauge how much change is now feasible, right? Too little is boring and too much is discouraging. So what is a practical step between the next time we meet, in other words? Number eight, don't let people settle for less than the scriptural solution, right? We're not going to give this integrationist ability to be able to cope through, work through, handle your situation. And then maybe you're going to have to come back to me tomorrow. Or you, if you don't handle these little situations, well, then uh, you will be hopeless. No, we always go back to the scripture. The scripture has all the answers that we need to live godly in Christ Jesus. Number nine, use biblical or biblically derived language when analyzing and labeling problems and when planning solutions to them. Always point them back to the word of God. And number 10, be command-oriented rather than feeling-oriented. Somebody says, well, I don't feel forgiven. That's a, an example that we often hear of somebody who has a marred past. Mm. I don't feel forgiven. Well, what does scripture have to say? What does the Bible have to say? We walk by faith. Always go back to the text. Mm. Yeah. You know, Ray, over the years, you have cited bits of counsel that you've gotten from people. You know, whether it was the man that walked into your shop and said, don't ever get large, don't ever go big. Yeah. I mean, have, haven't those little tidbits been an expression of counseling? Like, like I talked about earlier, Christians talking to each other and speaking to one another's eyes. Because I think some of the people listening to the program now are thinking, I'm not a biblical counselor. Like, I, I don't, what am I going to do? But everything Mark just shared can apply in our interactions with each other, speaking wisdom. Mm-hmm into one another's lives. There have been like milestones that the person just said a couple of sentences and yeah. really changed the whole direction of my life. And I'm just thinking, am I ever involved in counseling? You know, like you said, but I often do it when I meet a Christian. They don't come on camera. I want to interview them. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. So you're reading your Bible each day? No, no. And I just for 30 seconds to a minute, just say it's God's love letter to you. You're commanded to love him with heart, mind, soul, and strength. This word should be first. Job said, I've esteemed his... This word more than my necessary food. Mm. And I said, just think about that. And that could change the direction of their whole life. Man, Ray, that's that's so, so true. In fact, you know, there's there's a a, a godly person that I know that I really respect, loves the Lord, loves the word, not Oscar. And they said they heard you when you came and spoke somewhere and you you talked about reading your Bible every day. 
And they said, when you said that, it just did something in them. They read their Bible constantly, but it's not like this, you know, real commitment every single day. And they said, from that time they heard you. And it was a while after you had said it, they said they had, they had started doing that and it just was radically transformational. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't have to be something big, sophisticated, involved, intricate, eloquent, it can just be truth. And it's not an love. appointment in a room sitting facing each other. It's right. just chatting with someone over coffee. Yeah, that, and, and that, and that what is what I think should be the kind of common form of counseling. Now, yeah, there is absolutely. the sit-down type stuff where you have formal. serious situations, formal where it's needed. And God has gifted the church with people who can do that. But, but just to get into the habit of interacting with each other. And Garrett Higby said, our goal in counseling is threefold. One, to get the counselee to see God's character and compassion through the lens of scripture. Two, to get the counselee to see himself and his problems as God does. And three, to get the counselee to feel God's conviction and comfort as he peers intensely into the mirror of his word. Oh, that's it. You, you know, know, we've got about 40 minutes without idiocy. <laughs> we've had a few oh, things. Let's do something about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's change that. But yeah, and and again, friends, we just want to encourage you to be very careful with following the modern counsel of a foolish fallen world. Again, the same author, uh, Garrett Higby said, a large portion of good counseling is helping counselees see that at the root of all psychological problems are theological errors. No one can have a proper view of self without a proper view of God. It all comes back to the Lord, who God is, what's he said about himself and what he has said about us. And, uh, and then we have his word for the solution. So we hope you've been encouraged, friends. Again, God Speaks, Finding Hope in the Midst of Hopelessness by RayLivingWaters.com. Make sure to give us any thoughts, any thoughts whatsoever at podcasts at LivingWaters.com and make sure to give us that rating. Keep sharing. We told you at the beginning how many people are listening to the podcast and how we're rating in top spots around the world. Thank you again. Keep pressing on in the Lord. And finally, friends, for that lacking idiocy, Thanks for joining us on the Living Waters Podcast. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters Podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline, California. Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina. Andrea from Anderson, Indiana. Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania. Lowell from Yakima, Washington. Don from Charleston, Illinois. John from Ford, Australia. Good on you, mate. And Dave from Will and Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.